Just a couple of quick things before I get into the lesson I want to share with you in a moment. Uh, one is, uh, failed to get into the announcements, I think it was in the emails that Becky Brink is to have shoulder surgery uh, coming up, and I didn't know the exact timing, but that surgery will be on Tuesday of this week, so keep, keep Becky and Keith in your, your prayers and your thoughts as she undergoes this surgery. It seems like she's had quite a few in the last few years, and so keep Becky Brink in your prayers as well, and I know others. I'm glad to see Carla out among the living today. I'm not sure she knew she was going to be among the living last week, but glad to see you, and you still got the same guy hanging out with you, I know, so okay, very good. <laughs> and then this, 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 uh, got a text just a moment ago. You're not supposed to get texts during church service, but I got this text just a moment ago. Larry Baldwin, Larry Sound is vibrating badly, echoing. It's not doing that at all here, Larry. It's your hearing aids. <laughs> no, actually, we having somehow we just had new equipment put in and just trying to get all the wrinkles and the bugs out of it is some of the problem. I, I thought it was great, you know. There we were at Yankee Stadium and the Lou Gehrig thing was going on and so forth. It was, it was kind of interesting. It caught your attention this morning, didn't it? It kind of woke you up, 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 up. Anyway, but uh, we're working on I appreciate what Josh has done to make the arrangements, get all this done, and is uh, trying to stay on top of it and, and make our, our things work. Sound like we're, we're working right now, and maybe a few bugs yet to, wrink, to work out, some wrinkles to work out in that, but it's good. It's good, and hopefully very good for the future. Let's talk about holy ground. You are on holy ground. That's the title of the lesson. You are on holy ground. Well, I put the title on, so I knew that was the title of the lesson. But I want to I reflect on that. And you may know where that comes from, and we're going to come to that in a moment. But I want to reflect on something here. Something caught my attention this week. I was already working on this, but this really got my attention this week when I read an article in the, in the Oklahoman. On Tuesday, that was this past week, on Tuesday, I read an article about some individual churches, individual churches or congregations that are in the process of separating their association with the United Methodist Churches. You may have seen some there, there were some subsequent articles about that as well. They were separating as an or, from the organization or the denomination. While the main reason for dissolving was not clearly stated in the article, in fact, it stated, we don't know all the reasons why, and I think they were trying to really avoid the primary reason these groups were separating from their organization in that regard. And please, understand, I'll get to this in just a moment, uh, the heart of this in a moment. But it came down to the point that they were not in accord with others that shared their common thought or were supposed to share their common thought in that and uh, it was not something that could be easily rectified. They felt like they were, ir- as one of them stated, irreconcilable differences. One that was casually mentioned was about the participation of the homosexual clergy. Now, that was just mentioned, I believe, by the writer of the Oklahoman and not specifically by an individual in a quote. So make sure that I put it out there that way. I assume also that there were several other ideas that were a part of it as well. Some of you may know more about it than I do. But laying aside the individual concepts, I think there was a bigger issue that really crossed my mind, and here's what I want to get to within this. Not defending anything that was going on there by any means, but what I want to point out is that while one of the 
interviewed pastors mentioned that they wanted to make sure they were in keeping with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You can see it up there. In the guidance, within the guidance of the Holy Spirit, there was no mention in any of the responses that were stated. There was no mention of scriptural teaching or of respect for God or of God's will in this. Now, they may have put that under the idea of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit was guiding them to think or do. But it was never stated in the article. So I have a question. I have a question. Have they ever considered that they are walking on holy ground? I hope to make that clearer in just a moment. Please understand that I'm not mentioning those divisions from that denomination to especially pick on them. You could find that in a lot of religious groups today. Instead, What I want to put out to you is that I have, as stated there, I have an abiding fear that we, and let's underscore that, put it in bold letters, that we may lose our sense of reverence towards God, that we as individuals, we as people, we even as a church, may lose our sense of reverence toward God. And it will be shown. It will be shown in the way that we conduct our lives. Listen to me now. I'm not talking about necessarily what we do in here. I'm talking about the way that we conduct our lives outside of here. The way that we conduct ourselves at work. The way we present ourselves in society. The way that we talk to other people. The jokes that we laugh at. The things that we do. The places that we go. And so many things like that. That's what I'm talking about. That we may lose our sense of reverence towards God and the idea of what we're talking about when we talk about holy ground, which I try to dread. I'll try to address to you even more in the next few minutes. But it will be shown in how we see the church, how we draw from the Bible, how we associate anything with God. And so I turn you back, I turn you back to an event in the life of Moses. One that many of you read about and know very well, I think. Consider this in the event in the life of Moses. We go to Exodus chapter 3 in that familiar event where Moses finds himself at that so-called burning bush. Read along with me. Exodus 3, beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Listen to that. He was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he, God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Boy, that would have been an amazing thing, wouldn't it? Can you imagine being in Moses' shoes 
for a moment? Can you imagine being in his place and being there? Can you imagine this happening? Well, let's think about Moses in this holy ground for a moment. Let's think about where he was and what's going on in his life. For Moses finds himself confronted and says, you're on holy ground, so what's going on? Well, he's a shepherd. And the shepherd suddenly makes a vital realization in his life. Because realize now, it's been 40 years 40 years he's away from his heritage, 40 years he's away from his people, 40 years and the disappointments of his first 40 years are well behind him. And as he's working and as he's been living, he's been with his father-in-law. He's been in service to his father-in-law. He's tending the sheep of his father-in-law. He's a worker. He's a shepherd. He's no longer a prince in a king's palace. But he's a shepherd in the wilderness working under his father-in-law, who was apparently a good man, a priest, a priest of God in his own right. But he was a shepherd. And during those 40 years, and really throughout the first 80 years of his life, we do not know of any active, direct connection with God during those years We don't know of God speaking to him. We know of him hearing from God specifically. What he knew of God, he may have learned when he was growing up. We don't know of God confronting him or saying anything to him. We just know that he's lived his life. He did the first 40 years there in Egypt. He comes into the wilderness, spends 40 years in this way, and we don't know of any. There's no written connection of of Moses and God, between God and Moses, during this time. What there was, we don't know. But what he learned that day... What he learned that day is that God was there. There was a persistent fire that needed to be checked. How long it had been burning, we don't know. Why why he suddenly says, listen, i got to go see about this. Brush fires were probably not all that uncommon then as we find them today. But there was a bush out there that just kept burning and kept burning and kept burning. And I get the idea that it's more than a day, it's more than a while, and he says, I've got to go see about this. Why in the world does this keep burning over there, and it doesn't seem to be consumed, and so he goes to see about it, for it was the fire of that burning bush where we see Moses come in contact with God. And what it tells us and what it reminds us is that God, God knew, this is important to you and me, this is important to you and me, so I want you to think about this, God knows where you are. He knew where Moses was. He knew what Moses was doing. He knew what was going on in that place. Perhaps it's proper for us to stop and think a moment and how God, through the ages, shows himself to humanity. And think of the ways he is in the natural, physical ways, presented himself to God in the garden with with Adam and Eve. He walks among them in some physical way. He walks among them in the garden. Can you imagine that? Walking with some sort of representation of God right by your side? We see him in the flood, and the natural flood, and the rains that came and the fountains breaking up. We see him in the flood that floods the earth and destroys humanity. We see him in the fire and the brimstone that rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah. We even see him in the rainbow after the flood is over. We see God in many ways manifested in very physical things. And you look at the ministry of Jesus again and again. Jesus says, look at the signs. And so God was there. In that burning bush, he spoke to Moses. And he called out to him. 
He called to him by name. And in calling him by name, he then says, now take off your shoes or sandals. Take your sandals off your feet. Call him by name. And that had to sound odd. He knows my name. He knows who I am. But then maybe something might have risen in his mind that rises in my mind when I start reading this. Why remove the shoes? I mean, we might talk about sanitary things or something like that. I don't know exactly. Why remove the shoes? Why not something else? Why not cover your head? Why not, you know, who knows? I I don't know. I just was sitting here thinking, what in the world? Why take off your shoes? And maybe you've got that summed up in your mind. But I think perhaps it was just a sign of vulnerability, a sign of trust, a sign of humility, a sign of respect, and a sign of reverence. I've known of homes where they ask you to take off your shoes when you go into the house because they don't want you tracking on the carpet. But I can't imagine in a desert place where a fire is burning saying, take off your shoes because they're afraid you're going to get dirt further on the dirt. That wasn't the point. It was about humility. It was about trust. It was about respect. And it was about reverence toward God of doing what God called on him to do on that occasion. I think it's similar to the way that one would confront another as one enemy would confront another and lay down their arms and and say, okay, I'm vulnerable and I'm open to you. I really think, for my part, take it for whatever it is. Take it for, as I say it, but I think that may be more what's happening here. It's about a respect for God. For he says, you are on holy ground. You say, well, it's holy ground. Of course, you're going to take off your shoes. It's holy ground. Well, long before Moses, people set aside places that they thought were holy ground. The Egyptians had their own, but others had them throughout the ages. They would set up altars on high places closer to God, and they called them high places for more than one reason, but they were higher. They were holy places, places they would meet God, places they would sacrifice, places they would try to entreat the favor of whatever God they were calling upon. Or like Abraham and Isaac, to go to the mountain and there to do as God had asked them to do. But let me, let me make very clear my understanding. The only thing, the only thing that made this place holy was the presence of God. It was just the mountain. It was just a desert place. It was holy because of the presence of God. And what it was was a call to Moses and a call to him to humbly, humbly recognize that very presence of God. And so you wonder, what in the world does this have to do with me? What in the world does this have to do with me? Well, I want to tell you, here it is, and this gets to the point. So if you're going to go to sleep, wait till later. Here's the point. (laughs) Okay. We... We, that includes you and me, we are standing on holy ground. You might ask, where is this holy ground? Is it this place, this floor, this building, this room? Is that what we're talking about here? We may tend to think of a place when we talk about holy ground, such as a church building. And I remember, and maybe we still do in vacation Bible school, we would sing tiptoe, tiptoe in God's house. I want to be quiet. We're in God's house. Be careful. You're in 
God's house. In fact, we used to have a lot more rules about God's house than we have today, I guess. When I was a child, maybe it was just my mother's rules, but it seemed like others had the same rules that we had. We used to say, you don't run in the church building. I didn't realize we weren't supposed to run because we had run over old people like me. Don't talk loud. Wear the right clothing. And you know the, how the rules go. These are the things you do in God's house. You can do other things in other places, but you don't do them in God's house. Well, people, I understand, and I know something about etiquette, I guess. Maybe you don't believe that in me, but sometimes we know a lot about etiquette, but, etiquette, but we need to know that there is a difference between etiquette of respect for what we do here and making it a sacred place. Look around you. We've got a building of brick and mortar and steel and wallboards and glass and all the things that go into putting a building together. It's a building. It's a building. It's a building like the house you live in or the building where you work, the school, the school building where you go to school. It's a building. We may build it in a certain style, set it up in a certain way so that we can assemble and we can worship there. But it is a building. And if we make this the holy place, The problem is that when we distance from here, we tend to distance ourselves from God. We tend to distance or even delete God from the other places in our lives. Now think, this is what stands out. This is what's on my mind. That when we distance, we may delete God from the other places, listen to me, may delete God from the other places in our life as if God's will, God's place, God's holy ground is not where we are. I got to tell you, I think the whole world is God's place. We are on holy ground. Where is God not? Please tell me where he is not. Holy ground is not a place, but it is a realizing, it is a realizing connection to God. We are that holy ground. It's not some piece of dirt, it's not some place you go to. We are that holy ground. Notice Paul's words about God. Acts 17 and verse 24. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. He goes on to say a little bit further that our lives and our existence are in him. In whom we live and move and have our very being. Verse 28 of Acts 17. You see what I'm trying to get across to you is that there are not, there are no separations geographically or secret places where we get away from God, to hide from God. I think the book of Jonah bears that out pretty well for us. We can't run away from God. We can't separate God from us where we go, whether school or work or home or wherever it might be. It's not, we don't separate from God when we're away doing something in a distant place, away from home. It, we don't even separate from God when we go into Vegas and what happens there stays there, they say. We're not separate from God. We may separate our minds. We may separate our actions. 
We may disregard God. We may put ourselves in our mind at a distance from God. But we are still supposed to be that holy ground wherever we are. So let me give you one other good thought in this. I think it's a good thought. If you can't find him in you, wherever you are, if you can't find him in you, wherever you are, you won't find him in some shrine or church building. I wasn't going to add that. Let me add one thing I was thinking about this morning. There was a lady who came by the church building uh, several days ago. It was the day they were here working on the equipment, sound equipment, trying to get the equipment into place and everything. And it was a little bit of an unusual thing. And a lady came in the door. Uh, Kyle let her in the door, and she came into my office there as I was working. And, and she said, she said, I need a place to pray. I said, sure. She said, would it be all right if I went into your auditorium and prayed today? I said, I said that would be fine with me, but I, I want to tell you, there are workers in there, they're making noise, they're putting in equipment and so forth, and they are in there, and I really can't go in there and ask them to just leave for a little while. And she said, oh, okay, I understand. And she backed up, and she began to go out the door, and I want so bad later. I wasn't fast enough. I don't know whether it's age or what it is. I wasn't fast enough to tell her this. You don't need to go into the auditorium necessarily. I understand surroundings, the quiet and all of that, and it's a place where we, we worship and it brings certain things to our minds. I understand all that, so I'm not taking something away from that. But I don't know about you, but the best prayers I've ever prayed have not been in this room. And I've prayed a lot of prayers in this room. I've got to believe that the best prayers, some of the best prayers, some, not all of them, the best prayers I've prayed I've been other places, and some of the very most important ones have been in my car. Now, that's just me. But if you can't find God in you, you won't find him in some other place. Listen to this. We are God's temple. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16 For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Did you catch that? I will dwell in them. One more. 1 Corinthians 3, back up, three chapters. Verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Listen, listen, listen. Which temple you are. Individually, collectively, we are God's temple. You see, When Moses met the Lord there at that mountain where he would later bring the children of Israel, when he met the Lord at the mountain, it wasn't the ground that was holy. 
It was being with God that was holy. And so I, I leave you with this thought. There's much more to say about this, but let me be very plain. As I've already said, you are that holy ground. And if it hasn't already happened in your life, it's time that you took off your allegorical shoes. By humbly reverencing God and applying Him and involving Him and thinking about Him, responding to Him, obeying Him in every part of your life. Far too often we leave Him inside the doors of the church building. And it's time we started taking Him wherever we go and letting that be holy ground. Maybe we do allow ourselves a lot of latitude. And maybe it does take a little bit of work to think about it. But let me ask you a question. Where would you rather be? On holy ground? With God? Or in a life without God? We'll sing that song of encouragement this morning. Maybe there's someone who would respond this very day. Maybe you've considered the need to be baptized into Christ to bring in your walk in Him. Be very close to Him. If you have that, you've considered that and you would like to take care of that today, oh, we will gladly share that moment with you. If there's another need you have, let us help you and assist you. We sing a song to, to encourage ourselves, to remind ourselves, but also to encourage and to invite you. And if you need to use that time to come this morning, please do so. While we stand and sing together.